Bernardi of the Swiss Observer's Office. Mr. Bernardi of the Swiss Observer's Office. Page Mr. Lester Townsend, please. Certainly, Mr. Kaplan. Mr. Townsend of Unipol. Mr. Townsend of Unipol. Please call at the communications desk of the public lounge. Mr. Townsend of Unipol. Please call at the communications desk of the public lounge. Miss Knox of Salon. United States Page Secretary, me. please. Mr. Kaplan. Yes? You wanted to see Mr. Townsend. Yes. This is Mr. Townsend. How do you do, Mr. Kaplan? This isn't Mr. Townsend. Yes, it is. Well, there must be some mistake. Mr. Lester Townsend? That's me. What can I do for you? Mr. Marty, delegation Please call the Are you the Townsend who lives in Glen Cove? That's right. Are we neighbors? A large red brick house with a curved tree-lined driveway. That's the one. Were you at home last night, Mr. Townsend? You mean in Glen Cove? Yes. Oh, I've been staying in my apartment here in town for the last month. I always do when we're in session here. So, what about Mrs. Townsend? My wife has been dead for many years. Oh, I... Now, Mr. Kaplan, what's this Mr. all about? Now, oh, forgive me, but who are those people living in your house? What people? The house is completely closed up. Just the gardener and his wife living in the grounds. Now, Mr. Kaplan, suppose you tell me who you are and what you want. Well, uh, please, just... Look, do you know this man? And, of course, if you're listening to this in podcast form, thank you for tuning in. This is the Cinema 9 Podcast brought to you by no one in particular. Just three men trying to survive as they trudge on into their 40s. It's very exciting. We're looking forward to talking about film for the next 10 years as well. And maybe we'll get to do it when we all turn 50. But for now, 
This is the Cinema Night Podcast, Cinema Nine Pod, ProtonMail.com, Cinema Nine Pod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all the fun places where you it's like to go. Cinema Nine underscore podcast on Instagram. Okay. Just, yeah. just for, I mean, if we're going to stop and do station identification, might as well, you know, put it out there yeah. correctly. I don't know why it was changed to that, but whatever. That's fine. Uh, I like to introduce. That's Travis Roy. He's already yeah, introduced himself. Talking. There he yeah, is. I just, I just started talking. Hello, everybody. Nice there to have is. you here. Thanks for having us pleasure to have you thanks for coming on i mean you're on the show every week anyways so you might as well be <laughs> uh eric branstrom we can't see you but we could definitely hear you what's up buddy not that i mind a slight case of abduction now and then but i have tickets for the theater this evening yeah what the hell come on i think it's my favorite line in the movie um uh, okay great yeah so north by northwest is uh, the focus of our does it hold up for today so we'll get into that in the middle of the show and of course we'll talk about your quarantine viewing picks travis and eric always have something wonderful to offer and of course our opening segment yeah this week week we've decided to do soundtracks not scores not themes we're talking movie soundtracks this is very specific now don't get these categories mixed up okay moviegoers we're talking top three soundtracks of all time so this is a pod full of film lovers, but also a lot of music lovers, too. So, Travis Roy, why don't you get us started? Take it from three on down. All right. Soundtracks. Now, soundtracks, I mean, they're, they're so important to, to films. They're something that, like, uh, when rock and roll music started really becoming something that was popular, it was, it was in part soundtracks that, that moved it. Uh, Black exploitation films were in part marketed uh, with, with, with their soundtracks. So, like, soundtracks, I think, can really, like, drive and be like these forceful movements in culture at times because they're like a mixtape that the, everybody kind of gets to listen to at once. Um, and, I, and I got a few in mind here, and I really had a hard time winnowing it down. Um, there's, there's a couple that I'm leaving off that are I consider highly influential to me, but if I'm really honest with myself, um, the, number three, is gotta, it's got to be a fairly recent one because it came into my life at a time when I really needed something that just kind of brought me joy. And that's the Moana soundtrack. I love unabashedly the Moana soundtrack by Lin Manuel and you know Miranda and some another gentleman um, whose name I don't know. But it is uh, it's a beautiful little piece of work. I, I love the the you know the way it makes me feel. Um, it really just is a yeah. I don't know, it's just a feel-good, inspiring thing, even though you don't know what the hell they're saying half the time. Um, so number three, I have to give it up to Moana. Wow. Well, I didn't see that coming. Uh, Eric Bransham, <laughs> what do you got for your number three? Yeah, you know, uh, my number three is actually the Crow soundtrack from 1993. That was, that was uh, over my older brother. My older brother, Marty, would bring this video home every single night from the Meyer Video Store. And we would uh, watch it on full blast, like one in the morning. And it really got me into kind of like the 90s, like dark rock grungy scene with, you know, uh, that's the first time I really remember hearing Rage with uh, Darkness and, uh, of course, Big Empty from STP. We had Helmet coming in with Milk Toast and, of course, the gorgeous Joy Division cover, uh, Dead Souls by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, back in the early 90s, there was this uh, 800 number, 1-800-MUSIC-NOW. Is this ringing any bells, you guys? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So I would call this number, and 
and I would like act like I was gonna buy the Crow's Crow soundtrack just so I could hear like little clips because they would play 30 <laughs> seconds before it like cut you off and try to get you to spend like $30 on a goddamn album. So I'm going with the Crow. Great choice, great call. Great job. I'm glad, I'm glad someone brought it up because I really felt bad knocking it off my list. Oh, no, bud, no. no. Oh, oh, bud. Uh, my number three is it's an obvious choice. It's Pulp Fiction soundtrack. It's like a huge part of my life in 1994, 95. Listened to it every day and, uh, you know, did all the quotes in between with the interludes. And it was just a, a hugely influential and constantly in rotation soundtrack. I know the whole thing inside and out. Even that stupid Statler Brothers song, which I would never like in real life. But in the <laughs> film, it got to me. You know, I liked it. Yeah. I like cotton flowers on the wall. It doesn't bother me at all. So I really enjoyed the Pulp Fiction soundtrack because it was teachy. And it really just kind of caught me in a time in my life where we all, we'd all be in, well, I was in drama in ninth grade and we would be doing drama club stuff. And that was like a huge part of my life. So I want to make sure that I remember that because I enjoyed that. Very nice. Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Very nice. fun. Tarantino has some pretty great soundtracks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Pumped a lot of 70s into our generation, oh. which was well, well welcome. Sing a sound of the 70s. All right, hey, <laughs> Travis, what do you got for number two? <laughs> My number two. Um, so I don't listen to this one a ton anymore, admittedly. But Uh-oh. like a lot of people I know, I was like into like a pre-screamo hardcore punk scene for like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then abruptly, a lot of us kind of pivoted to Americana and like bluegrass and like this very rootsy uh, kind of very different scene. And I think that a big reason for that is that collectively all at once we started listening to the Oh Brother We're Out Thou soundtrack. I think that I think that has a lot to do uh, with uh, with that kind of cultural turn. I grew up uh, with, with a bluegrass tradition in my family, but it's very religious, very spiritual music that kind of like, you know, in my adulthood didn't really um, uh, resonate with me. I kind of felt like it wasn't something I could have also be my own. It felt like like my ancestors' music, my family's music. And oh, after man. this, and after this soundtrack, it really um, opened a door for like a secular bluegrass. And uh, and I'm really appreciative for for it. And it's a great movie and a great soundtrack, and deserves to be on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... Didn't it win like best uh, like best album of the year at the Grammy? Album, Mitch Album. I believe it. Uh, I think it did. I mean, it certainly made. I mean, it was certainly a big, tremendous, like big impact uh, soundtrack of that time. Deep. What That's about the sure. Deep Impact soundtrack? I, I don't recall that when the <laughs> score, however, was sweeping. <laughs> I was getting confused with the Armageddon soundtrack, but uh, uh yeah, whatever. Who cares? Uh, yeah, Aerosmith, <laughs> okay. God help us. Ah, what do you got for number two, Eric Brantron? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I know people love this movie. I'm not like goo goo gaga over the film, but I just fucking love the soundtrack because it transports me back to the 90s where I, I just feel like I feel really happy and. You got uh, so many great artists on it. It's Empire Records soundtrack from '96. Oh, so, what, what's the problem? Why judgment? Judgment. Oh, the Cranberry, <laughs> Toe the Wet Rocket, better than Ezra. And listen course, to all these bands. Still, sugar Rex high. More, more, more. Look, hey, that's sugar high with Ronald Zewiger. That is terrible. Okay, sugar everyone's high. a mute shit at that point. Everyone well, mutes sugar high. Watching Saturday Night Live. 
Is Guar on that soundtrack? What? Fucking A, right? You know Guar's the on that soundtrack. Fucking better be. Yeah, of course I know the lyrics. I've seen Empire Records 800 times. I like the soundtrack. I'm just being... Listen, you got Zaza uh, breaking things down at the very end. You cannot be, walk away from that movie without a big smile on your face. And that's thanks to a really fun fucking soundtrack. All right. All right. I don't have Except. any beef with that. I like that. Mike approves. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the <laughs> uh, the next one. I really like this soundtrack. Now, a lot of it's a, a soundtrack can have original music on it, can it? Uh, often, often it does. Right. So that means it's still the soundtrack because I, I made sure that I was clear on this because the biggest part of the soundtrack is probably the main theme song, but it's an original song. It's not like a theme or a score. Right. It's like, it is a theme song, but it's a end up being a pop hit. And that's the never ending story. I love the never ending oh, yeah. story soundtrack. Uh, Giorgio Moroder wow. is incredible, legendary composer. And uh, it's definitely 80s vibe. Obviously, the never ending story. That's a that was like a hit. There actually was a real hit. And uh, they got some German guy to come in and sing on that who was not. Oh, oh, by the way, we have a. <laughs> We have Chris Deary in here uh, chatting with us on the comments, and he said he threw out Judgment Night, um, which is a fascinating soundtrack, by the way. Do you remember oh, yeah. that one, Travis? Oh, oh, of course. Dinosaur Jr. and like, uh, who was it? I don't, I, I, I don't remember. It was, it was like rap artists with like punk artists and metal artists and stuff. Yeah, it was like it was rap rock, an early thing of rap rock with Cypress yeah. Hill and Anthrax. Before Slayer, it was corrupted, public and <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, Biohazard and Onyx, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Sonic Youth and yeah, that was interesting. I did give it some credit, but I love the Neverending Story soundtrack because it has a lot of like just 80s synth jams that are sad but fun. And I've listened to it many times. The whole soundtrack. There's a lot of deep cuts on that album that don't have lyrics, but it's a fun soundtrack. So I'm gonna all right. I'm gonna go with that one. It's a good one. So, Travis, the moment of truth. What is the number one soundtrack, according to Travis Roy? This was so easy for me, and I think a lot of people that know me will be unsurprised by this one. Uh, for me, it is hands down from 1992, the single soundtrack uh, from the Cameron Crowe wow. movie singles. I adore the soundtrack. I listen to it still all the time. Um, it's got... I, not one, but two of the best Pearl Jam songs ever, including Breath, which is an amazing song. It's got the first stuff that Paul Westerberg did after he left Replacements, and it's probably some of the best stuff of, of his career, I think, personally. Uh, it's got the best Smashing Pumpkins song on there, uh, and it's got the only yeah, good yeah. Mother Love Bone song on there, but Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Like the other stuff by them, I wish I liked it, but that song fucking floors me. Like that's one of those songs that just like can't listen to it drunk. I'll be reduced to fucking a wobbly mess. Um, so yeah, single soundtrack, got to give it up. That's certainly like going to be in the running. I, I thought about it hard, and I decided to let someone else probably choose it, and you did. So good job, gotcha. Eric Branchum, the number one soundtrack of your life. Well, for for number one, I got to kick it to one of my all-time favorite movies. It's got to be on my top, probably on my top five list. And the movie is is literally about music. So they kind of had a lot on their shoulders in terms of making this right. Uh, I went with High Fidelity. Um, oh, so for a lot of different reasons. I mean, the, the narrative of the story blends so well with the song choices that... Uh, that are, are brought to the table. Elton John, Dylan, of course, Stevie Wonder, Beta Band. Oh, yeah. Of course, the boss himself shows up for a little bit. So there's just so much saturation in the music for this one. And, and even some of the, the 
the cast members themselves. You know, we got Marie DeSalle, <laughs> Barry Drive, the Uptown Five. So the whole movie is just a celebration of music. And thankfully, the soundtrack comes through in a big way. It just makes you feel so good. Great choice, man. Wow. Well, I got to say, I saw that coming from somewhere. Again, I left that one for someone to choose, and they came through. So what do you <laughs> all know? Right. Hey, you know, we're, we're all from the same. Well, we're all from the same age, and, you know, yeah. it's sometimes yeah there's some predictability to it you're I mean, right. well we know each other i mean it's yeah hey you don't know me yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's time for this michael gobier's number one so. choice uh boy this is this is uh separate pressure's on buddy uh, yeah you know it's like wow i was thinking i wanted to give an honorable mention and i know this movie's being chastised now in the world we live in but the forrest gump soundtrack was a double disc blowout whoa of like yeah. the entire lexicon <laughs> oh, of yeah. rock and roll, and yep, uh, it was great because it's it's really cheating. They basically just took like twenty <laughs> years of like classic rock and like right. early early rock and roll from the fifties, and it's not really a fair soundtrack. It's just like, hey, let's blow the budget like twenty million dollars just on right. uh, you know songs alone. It's the so. best of the mid twentieth century. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Bob Seger and like, right. you know the Young Bloods, everything. So, anyways. I won't choose that. I will choose the Boogie Nights soundtrack, though, because nice. it's really set the standard. Uh, Martin Scorsese's had some great soundtracks, and I wanted to maybe throw the Goodfellas one in there because the Goodfellas soundtrack is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go Boogie Nights because I thought that PTA actually used music better than Scorsese did, and that's saying a lot. In this film in particular, the music is crucial to it. I mean, the pool scene where it's like... <laughs> It's yeah. just going on for like a half hour and you get like there's like four or five songs played through that whole pool scene. Like the first time they're at Jack's party when everything's happy and cocaine right. is a new experience, you know, and it's done so well. Like where Amber Waves huffs a couple lines and she looks up and there there's a Mark Wahlberg jumping off the diving board and, you know, it's playing like, oh, I'm a lonely boy. You know, it's good stuff. I love it. It's so well done. Thank you for that effort, PTA. And I mean, it know? gave an entire generation a whole new appreciation of Night Ranger. That's, that's important. Yes, exactly. The night. I mean, that scene alone is fantastic. And even when, uh, well, you know, spoiler alert, movie's 23 years old. Uh, Bill Macy blows his head off, and they use <gasps> that uh, that do your thing. Is goes it goes on for like seven minutes, and then finally <laughs> blows his head off. That's the culmination of the song. Well done. Well done. So, hey, did we leave something out? I mean, we only chose three apiece. There's so many soundtracks out there. What can you do? It's tough. We did the we best we could. We definitely picked movies like that, like 40-year-old guys would, would, would pick, you know, large. Well, I thought about, I should have picked the Drive soundtrack. That was a tough, I almost picked the Drive oh, it's soundtrack. it's so good. And yeah, I now I regret one. that, actually, that I just said it out loud. I didn't choose it. <laughs> I'm you choosing an honorable mention. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Late edition. So let us know. What would you prefer? What did we miss? Cinema9pod at ProtonMail.com. Send us an email. Or you can DM us. Uh, Cinema9pod underscore, underscore podcast. Just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, is that what it is? Yep. Yeah, sure. So hit us up there. You can find Cinema9pod. Just search us. You know what I mean, Eric? Eric, do you disagree? Yeah, I can't uh, hear you. This audio is gone. You're muted. Your audio is gone, buddy. Are you muted? We can see you, but we can't hear you. Anyways, Eric's got issues. He'll figure it out. But in the meantime, hit us up, cinema at iPod at protonmail.com, and we'll hear what you have to say. We'd love to get your soundtrack thoughts. All right, now it's time to do it. Time to get into the main event, the centerpiece of the show. It's time for Does It Hold Up? Now, this week's <laughs> version, Does It Hold Up? 
it's a 50 65 year old movie it's a very old film uh it's from the 50s 1959 right north by north yeah 1959's north by northwest would somebody start the bidding at 750 dollars please uh, how do we know it's not a fake it looks like a fake well one thing we know you're no fake you're a genuine idiot thank you i wonder if i could respectfully ask the gentleman to get into the spirit of the proceedings here all right i'll start it at eight eight hundred thank you nine hundred one thousand is bid go twelve eleven eleven is bid thank you go twelve i have eleven go twelve we'll say twelve eleven once we'll say twelve eleven twice twelve thank you twelve is bid i have twelve go thirteen we'll say thirteen thirteen dollars <laughs> you mean thirteen hundred, sir? No, no, no. I mean thirteen dollars. That's more than it's worth. Done by the one and only Alfred Hitchcock, correct? Who? Alfred Hitchcock? Who directed I this never movie? Heard of, I don't know. I think this was a uh, an Al Smithy picture. I, I can't. Oh, Bob Seger. I thought Bob Seger <laughs> directed this. No, I'm just kidding. This is North by Northwest, starring. Uh, a host of random dudes, including Martin Landau, who's in this, making a yeah. young, a young Martin Landau was fun to Sexy see. Sexy um, young Martin Landau, like he's yeah, like, but he's got the same voice. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. And but I'm used to looking at him like fish face, you know, uh, old man, and like he, he's so vital and attractive here. It was weird to hear when he first walked in the room in like the first ten minutes when. <laughs> <laughs> he he starts talking. I'm like, oh my god, he sounds just like Martin Lando, but he's like, you know, 20 years old or something. It was really <laughs> strange to see. But the movie is North by Northwest, directed by Alfred Hitchcock and written by Ernest Lehman, starring Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, and James Mason, to name a few. Travis, uh, do you recall the first time you saw this film? Obviously, you weren't born when this film came out, but do you remember <laughs> seeing it the first time with parents I, or, I don't know, I do, family? I, by myself. Um, for, I would like to give a shout-out, first of all, to Shortway Avenue. I don't know your actual name, sir, but Shortway Avenue on uh, Instagram was the one that uh, suggested this film, and it won the raffle, so ha- thank you for that. Uh, yes. For, for participating. We very much Listener's choice. That listener's choice and um yeah a little bit i was like kind of like last week with back to the future i was like well this is already a classic i don't think we necessarily need to check and see if it holds up eric your audio is good welcome back um but for this movie for me personally i was i was really glad because like i grew up watching hitchcock in like you know like alfred hitchcock presents and stuff but in my teens i you know got into hitchcock and um, this movie in particular was the one that I loved most and watched the most. So this is actually like the, the Hitchcock movie I've seen the most times, but it had been like 20 years probably since I watched it, like a lot of these other classics that we've been watching. So for me personally, it was like, does this still hold up in my mind? So um, it was it was a real pleasure to revisit it. I got I to gotta say, and I'm looking forward to talking about it more. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Eric, how long yeah. is... Uh, you're a big fan of this film, so... Yeah, I you've just see, bought the you've seen this film 25 times, right? So, yeah, I just bought the Blu-ray, uh, which is, you know, remarkable since we're talking about probably one of my top five favorite scores of all time by the legendary Bernard Herrmann. And yeah, I've loved this movie since I was a teenager. It's probably top three Hitchcock material. And I just think it's a it's a kind of a perfect film. I'm, I'm glad our guest uh, listener picked it. 
because it's one that, you know, we probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit down and talk about because we're going back, you know, over 60 years. Uh, but luckily for me, it's it's still, you know, just as vibrant and fresh as it was when it probably came out. So there's a lot to talk about. Wow. Okay. Yes. North by Northwest uh, has some interesting ratings. Travis, any idea on the IMDb rating? I'm sure it's high. I'm going to guess like 8.1. Hmm. Eric, Eric, do you know the answer? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say 8.4, 8.5. Okay. Well, you did go over, so I, could, I think that means oh. Travis wins if we're doing Price is Right rules. Oh, 8.3. 8.3 is the correct answer. Correct. Actual retail price. So highly rated IMDb. 99.94. Critic versus audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's outstanding. That's yeah. uh, it's very similar to what we had with, um, shit, what was it, last week's? BTTF. With Back to the Future. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Gotta get back to the and uh, <laughs> as far as the critics, I wonder on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you think they were reviewing on Rotten Tomatoes in 1959? They they were not. No, <laughs> like no? Uh, just like Bullseye.com was not reviewing in uh, whatever the fuck <laughs> year we were talking about last week. But uh, I'm sure there is some uh, some reviews from from the era. You know, some contemporary reviews. What do we got? Well, this is bullshit. So there's one on the bottom from Tim Roby of the Daily Telegraph in the UK. And it says it's from September 17th, 1959. All right. But, but it doesn't have any words. It just says five out of five. So that's bullshit. Boo. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Daily over, Telegraph. But up and down this page, guys, it's just red tomatoes. All I see is red. I don't see any green tomatoes. And I'm not kidding. I haven't seen one yet. Two pages worth. Three pages worth. People just love this film. I, even the critics yeah. have no... Well, I mean, rich imagery. Uh, at times, it seems Hitchcock is kidding. His own penchant for the bizarre, but his sardonic attitude is so deftly handled. It only enhances the thrills, you know, shit like that. I mean, it kind of surprises me personally uh, that some critics didn't actually fault it for what I love about it, which is kind of the frivolity and the playfulness, because Hitchcock pre-1959 was known for, you know, some pretty intense melodrama and symbolism. And that's one of the reasons why he wanted to make this is to kind of lighten things up and have some fun. So I'm surprised some critics weren't you know, throwing lettuce at it, saying, you know, <laughs> what happened to your heart streak? You know, speaking of surprise, like, I think that was the thing that surprised me most on this reviewing. Like, maybe my uh, my sensibilities, my sense of humor has changed in my old man age, but uh, this movie's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I did not oh, remember laughing so much when I was younger fucking watching hilarious. this. I mean, I was really, the first act in particular is really funny. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, it's a lot funnier than I remember. Um, but yeah, I I I I'm glad that uh, that everyone does seem to be on board with it. It's a pretty uh pretty classic movie for a reason. I think general consensus seems to be Look, in favor. Yeah, there. Okay, there's one. Here's one from the New Yorker. Whitney Ballet. Oh, it looks like ballet, but it's ballet. It looks like three L's in the middle too. Wow, that's ballet. It's pronounced ballet. A hopelessly attenuated round of mistaken identity cloak and dagger doing sympathetic but helpless friendly agents a double dealing woman and so forth trash <laughs> what i love all those no. things about it. <laughs> it's the only negative review i found in four pages of critical Rats. reviews so, hey that's a pretty positive thing you know good for that's good so for this funny. movie good for albert hitchcock he's long since been dead and so is cary grant cary grant's doing his cary grant thing I just can't help but make fun of his voice the whole time he's I'm watching this film. I'm just like, 
I start doing like, uh, I don't know. I start doing a dumb Cary Grant. I can't help myself. It's I really love his funny. voice. Well, I mean, he, he was born in the in Britain and then, you know, moved oh, to yeah. the United States as a teenager. It, so, I mean, like, he's got like this very, thing. yeah, he's, he's got the, but it's also like an era when he wasn't the only guy necessarily, like the only American that would just kind of affect uh, this British accent. Like, I'm not actually from Britain. I'm just rich. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just been, it's been played with by a lot of satire. So it, I just can't help myself and start. Making yeah. fun he, of his voice. He gets away with so much like unusual and odd behavior because he's so goddamn charming. Like his first like few minutes on screen, he fucking jumps into somebody else's cab, blows them off, and then just starts talking about his own vanity. It's like, yeah, I could be a dick, but he's so fucking charming. That's one of the I think one of the real things that really stood out to me about the movie is that uh, Thornhill is not a great guy like you're rooting for him, <laughs> but he's the kind of guy that like will not only have his secretary call his mother for him. He's the kind of guy that will be being chased by murderers and just leave his mother to them like you deal with them. <laughs> not not well. not the greatest guy, but so fucking charming. And that's that's Cary Grant, man. Like I I. This movie to me really rides on Cary Grant, and uh, I find him to be such a fascinating and interesting figure. I think there's so much we could talk about with just his his personal life. I mean, this, this was written. I mean, I'm sorry, this was performed by him when he was at peak LSD experiences. You guys know this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, this this guy before before Tim Leary was was pushing LSD. Oh this, yeah. You know this this is what he was pushing is like this oh, is God, a therapeutic yeah. and amazing thing. And like the late 50s into the early 60s was when he was riding that dragon. And uh, so God knows, you know, he must have been. Uh, who knows what state it may have been, even re- filming this. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, true. That's he probably was probably why he would literally toss the script in Hitchcock's face and say that it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he loves he loved this LSD. You know, that's great. I think it's cool that a guy who looks so posh, you know, and so elite in his stature as Cary Grant, his big time LSD lover, and I think that. It's probably one of my favorite like Hollywood secret stories of all time. I must well, but, say, but it wasn't secret though because it was therapy for him. And like, it was before yeah. it was really used recreationally. Like he was, he was like for him it was like therapy. Yeah, um, which is interesting. Okay, well, it's not okay. It was secretive, fine. Yeah, have it your way, dude. But I, I mean, mean, he, I, he called Good <laughs> Housekeeping and and asked to do an interview with them so he could talk about LSD. A guy that really <laughs> didn't do a lot of interviews. I mean, that's not secretive. <laughs> You're right. Okay, that's true. Fair point. Anywho, uh, so what's the Unlike deal with this movie? I mean, the LSD wasn't a problem. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. Oh, so this I love movie, and Randolph Scott. This movie's Sorry. long. I mean, uh, it was longer than I thought it was going to be. I never sat through it before, so it was a new experience for me. Uh, but it kind of moves pretty quickly because there's so much to go to. There's always the next, you know, scam or situation <laughs> that's coming up, and it gets, it gets really goofy. But you know, the whole premise of like, what's going on with this guy for real? Like, do we? I, I, I don't understand it. I, I got confused by some of it. Maybe, Eric, you can enlighten me. Help me understand what the hell's going on in this movie. Sometimes. That's what I, I love was... so much about it, because it's so convoluted. Yes, it's about mistaken identity and an, an ordinary man in extraordinary circumstances and spies and microfilm and MacGuffins, but it doesn't matter. In fact, even at one point, one of my favorite parts in the movie is when the professor, the old dude from the CIA, is trying to explain to Thornhill what's going on. And, the, and Hitchcock just has a bunch of fucking loud racket in the background from the airplane, so we don't even get to hear what it is. Because <laughs> it's just gobbledygook anyway. It doesn't matter. There's a fun pace. 
from start to finish. You got the opening titles from Saul Bass that bring you in, pull you in to the dick joke at the very end. It's classic. Yeah, Saul Bass um, and Bernard, or yeah, Bernard Herman, right? That's his name? Yeah. Yeah, so like that team up, uh, it, it, you know, that's going to be really effective again the next year when he when he did Psycho. Yeah. Um, but I, I also want to, you know, now on one hand, I think it's, we can't talk about Alfred Hitchcock without pointing out the fact that like, in 2016, he's one of the first guys to get pointed out in the Me Too movement. I mean, like, um, there was a lot of very validated rumors about his behavior and treatment towards women, but, um, you know, groping and uh, ruining the career of, like, Tippi Hedren, uh, that's that's pretty bad. Um, so it's, it's you know, that we have to address that, I think. But on the other hand, on the fun hand, I have to admit, this is the best uh cameo appearance that he does because he like shows up right when his name is in the credits and like it's so like non-intrusive and just like oh there he is he got out of the way early um i just love seeing him like try and get on that bus it's very funny <laughs> yeah hitchcock's a douchebag oh yeah. and, you know he's a great creator of film but he's a scumbag and that's there's this whole era is filled with scumbags probably everybody in this movie is a scumbag because anything that happens in the past is filled with scumbags because society <laughs> progresses forward to a better Cancel standard history. I don't know that and everybody that needs personally. to be canceled. So, uh, but, but yeah, the, the Hitchcock, I've never been a big fan. I know, I know that's probably like uncool wow. to say. So it was easy for me to be dismissive of him, but I, this, this film was entertaining. I will say that it, it was more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I've also, <laughs> I've also been familiar with some of the scenes like, yeah. You know the what the Mount Rushmore scene has been yeah. parodied many times, and the crop uh, duster scene, the yeah. crop dusting scene, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I I can take this in any direction you want, Travis. I know you wrote notes on it, so I I, I just I didn't take it that seriously. I thought I thought the answer to this question is obvious to me, but in terms of what it does for you as a film, is, is it a great film? Is it funny? Is it scary? Is it just stupid? I mean, I think I'm, it's kind of stupid, but I like that about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. It's, it's a convoluted plot, like sometimes uproariously so. And it's, uh, as Eric already pointed out, like it almost seems like he's like, like he knows it. And he's just kind of like, we're just running along with this and having right. fun with it. You don't need to, you don't need to worry about some of the um, specifics. But on the other hand, I think that there are, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are set up and knocked down later. Like some of the things, or, or at least like, like, you know, when I'm watching the movie, I'm just like, and I've seen this movie quite a few times, but I, like I said, it's been a long time, so i kind of forgotten some stuff. And as I was watching it, I had forgotten that uh, Eve, the Eva Marie Saints character, mm. I'd forgotten that Eve was like this double agent spy, etc. Yeah. When she first lets him on the train, I'm like, what the fuck? You know he's a murderer? And you're just like, you should probably come back to my room and we should fornicate. That sounds nice. And I'm like, that would, <laughs> yeah. this seems like a bad call. Um, but but like yeah. a lot of the things that seem kind of like they don't make sense do make sense later except for one big thing that i'd like to point out and get out of the way early wow. which is when you know early on when he's forced to get drunk and i'd like to talk more about the car oh, the car chase scene <laughs> but when he's when he's plied with a pint of bourbon right i'm like holy fuck he's gonna chug all that bourbon like no there was no chaser mother like <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, he like that's which is you know i would vomit i would not get through half of that thing i like bourbon okay but i could not do that but what's funny to me is that later on in the movie when he's in the when he's in the hotel or in the uh 
in the hospital, I guess, with with the professor. The professor was like, "Can I get you anything?" He's like, "How about a pint of bourbon?" He's like, "I might join you with that." Well, in that case, we'll need a court. And I'm like, "What the fuck was Cary Grant or was people in general just drinking a pint of bourbon like like it was nothing during this time?" Am I some sort of lightweight? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a lot oh, of yeah. fucking bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a dumb sequence, but you cannot help but to like it. I mean. Their whole intention is to fill him up with bourbon so that he eventually probably drives off a cliff. Why not just drive him off a cliff? Like, well, they try. what is this fucking charade? They, they try to drive off a cliff and he pushes the guy out the passenger side and starts, and starts driving. Yeah, Some That's of the worst true. He does. Projection, uh, rear screen projection in the history of film. <laughs> Some of the worst? I mean, in 1959, it probably looked sweet. I thought, I thought it looked good. I thought it looked you good have for 59. No you have no idea what it would look like for 59. You can't put yourself in there because we've been so exposed to things we've seen now. And I think Travis is right. I think that's probably one of the cool parts. Like like the crop duster scene is so incredible because it's, it's a real plane coming through. I mean, that's not that's not yeah. a, a that's not like photo trickery or anything. That's right. people were yeah. like, wow, this is intense. There's a scene towards the end of the movie where Cary Grant is punched in the face by the professor's driver and he falls back and he lands next to the wheel. And I'm like, what the fuck? You're going to drive over his hand. Like it's, he comes like so close to just getting run over. Um, so, so props to Cary Grant on some of these, uh, these stunts, apparently. I want to also say, yeah. I, I feel bad because I keep screwing up uh, Eva Marie Saint's name because there was a porn star back in the day named Eva Saint Marie. So it was really annoying. I'm, I'm sorry. She got that. I, I, that's not cool that she did that. I was exposed to Eva St. Marie before I was exposed to Eva Marie Saint. But by the way, this is the Cinema <laughs> 9 podcast. Dude. Yeah, uh, Eric's mic's doing that thing that it does. Uh, ah, the Cinema 9 podcast, ProtonMail.com. Tell us about this film. Did you watch it along with us? Give us some thoughts on it. You know, this is something that is definitely out of the wheelhouse of all the films we've done so far. So we'd be very interested in your feedback and thoughts on North by Northwest. And also... Kind of older films in general, you know, movies that are 50 or 60 years old. Do they just outdate themselves completely? Because I know there's film snobs that would say, hey, you know, there's an importance to this film when it came out at the time it came out. And we have to recognize that forever and ever. Unfortunately, it comes a time where a movie, I think, dates itself so completely that it's no longer relevant. And I don't think that's the case with this one because... It, it provides entertainment. It provides laughs. Uh, I don't know if there's a single black person in this film. Is there? Is there's there um, I, there's one in the background of the UN building when um, <laughs> the real George Cap or the real uh, what's his name uh, Townsend gets stabbed in the back. There's one wow. in there, and and then there is a uh, hotel guy, a, a, a valet. At, in Chicago, and I literally think that those are the only two people. No, those are only two black people. There is a there's like a, a, an Indian woman, I think. So those, those are like the only people of color in the whole fucking movie. It's a very white movie, but it's 1959. Yeah. It, was, it was, I mean, like they, they were not concerned with diversity and, and that kind of stuff uh, at all. What? How dare you? Shock. I know yeah. it's, a, it's a shocking uh, revelation I just made there. Um, uh, so what else did uh, you know? You take copious notes, Travis. What else did your notes come up with? What else uh, about this film did you find fascinating? Um, well, I, I I have comparisons. I think a lot. I mean, th this was based on a book, right? Is that true? Do we know? Uh, I'm not. I, sure. I feel like I, this. I hadn't heard that I, one. I feel like I should know this off the top of my head. Eric shaking um, his head no. So okay, so it, so it wasn't based on a book, but um, I know that the James Bond books 
predated this, but the movies did not. This is a, a couple years before Dr. No. Um, and I think that this movie probably inspired the, a lot of the James Bond tropes that we get used to seeing later on. Like, um, uh, he's the dashing gentleman. He's got his drink of choice, if you will, <laughs> pint of bourbon. Um, he's the femme fatale in particular with Eva Marie Saint. I think that she very much lines up with like a Bond type, a Bond girl. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that, I mean, you know, hey, here's my big, uh, you know, my big reveal that this movie was really influential. But I think that it was. I think that uh, a lot of, uh, I think this is the kind of thing that people wanted to see more adventures like this and probably primed audiences for the stuff like the, the Bond movies and, the, and like Flynn and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Eric, you're like the master of this film, right? So this film was not based on a book. It was just uh, Hitchcock's screenplay, right? Or working well, Ernest, with, uh, what's his name? Ernest well, Lehman. Yeah, the, the screenwriter was working with Hitch on a, a different project, and they just kind of cobbled this together over lunch in the commissary at, at the studio, and and it went from there. And and that is, I love that because this came from basically just Ernest Lehman and, and Hitchcock, and it's a script that holds up to this very day. And for 59, this is absolutely not just a precursor to James Bond, but uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay, Uh and even like dumb shit like Big Trouble in Little China and Remo Williams, you didn't have globetrotting heroes uh, even in the late 50s. You had central heroes that that did, uh, you know, like fascinating things in one environment or one land, like the Thief of Baghdad or uh, things of that nature. But you did not have these globetrotting heroes uh, in a movie like this. So I think it really paved the way for adventure films in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Ooh. a road movie, which is interesting like you kind of don't think of it necessarily but it is north by northwest so and it's, oh, it's like it's, uh Bing crosby films yeah. <laughs> it's planes trains and automobiles trains and automobiles thing too i mean like it, it literally it takes like every every ride um but in terms of hitchcock to get back on him real quick like i i kind of i, I agree with mike i'm not the biggest hitchcock fan there are movies of his that i love like this one and rear window um Birds, I watched that for the first time recently. That movie fucking sucks. Oh, that movie it. sucks. So good. It's 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 poorly made. I mean, I couldn't oh, do better. So but like it it just feels so uh like sloppy and and thrown together. Like to, uh, mm-hmm. I, I compared to when I and I compared it to this, like that shot of him running out of the UN, that matte painting shot that's like drastically like it's just amazing. Like it looks so fucking good. There's so many shots in this movie that like I know they did a Blu-ray edition of the Eric. You said you got it, I believe, right? Um, yeah. I'd love to see this on Blu-ray. I, I, I watched it in HD, so I guess I don't need to. But it, it looked it looked fantastic, and it, it, I mean, it's still just like a beautifully shot and composed film. Uh, uh, and for that reason alone, it's gonna, it's partly why it, I think it holds up so well. Yeah. Wow. Um, for me, this is. I mean, not only one of like your top ten adventure films of all time, or it, my favorite spy movie of all time, but it's one of the best uses of color in a film. And we're talking about the late 1950s and especially Hitchcock's collaborations with his cinematographer, uh, Edward Burke. They're like these, like these dreams of paintings that you mm. think you might once have had. I mean, they're just, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is just put in one of these Hitchcock movies from the fifties and just kind of drift off to sleep because they're transportative in a way that not a lot of films are from back in the day. And interestingly here, he's going to follow this movie up the next year with yeah. psycho in black and white. Yeah. Speaking of, of color. 
It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I did Vertigo and then this and Psycho. I mean, it's got a long, uh, long line of films that are well regarded. But, you know, North by Northwest is a film that is definitely something that defined a kind of a genre. You're right. I think it deserves credit for that. I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I think some of the dialogue is a little cheesy. Um, but, you know, but a lot of it's funny too like i mean it's cheesy but like the delivery the deliveries from some of the actors are well done and i will give you that i have found myself kind of getting drawn into the plot pretty quickly when they're when he gets you know dropped off at the house with martin yeah. landau and the other dude yeah and i'm like oh what's going on here and the, the way they're saying that he's denying who he is and i was really getting <laughs> intrigued it's, it's like well you're not you come on oh you want to play games you like the theater but you like doing your own little play here <laughs> yeah well it's, that's, it's that's so good playful. I mean, what, one of my favorite things about it is it takes this character, uh, Thornhill, who, you know, isn't that likable, doesn't have much of an arc. He doesn't really change that much throughout the movie until maybe the very end. He's just kind of prancing through uh, uh, the scenes, like very leisurely, even when he's in danger. But, you know, he does end up putting his life on the line to save um, Eve at the very end. But there's no real uh, arc to his character, but it doesn't really matter because it's all just like a fun night at the movies. And, and that's what I really appreciate about it. But I also think, and I agree, but I, I think that there's also like deeper things going on with Grant's performance that, um, that are part of the part, some of the reasons why it resonates. Like, cause identity was a really big deal with him personally. He was born Archibald right. Leach, right? right. And uh, changed his name to Cary Grant. And like, and was notoriously insecure in his personal life, but projected the most suave and sophisticated dude you could possibly imagine. I mean, he makes George Clooney look like a bumbling oaf. But like in reality, like he, he didn't really feel that. And he kind of famously said to one interviewer, like, everybody wants to be Cary Grant. And he's like, yeah, so do I. Um, because like he... He, you know, he he struggled with this idea of who. And by the way, Archie Leach, I think, is interestingly enough, that's the name uh, in A Fish Called Wanda. That's the name of John Cleese's character. Um, oh. Just a fun little fact aside there. But but he struggled his whole life with with his sense of identity in a lot of ways, especially since it's pretty clear that he lived a, a bisexual, probably uh, life. I mean, he lived with Randolph Scott off and on for twelve years. Uh, he had a prolonged relationship with Ori Kelly. A lot of people say that you know that that the, that that's not the case. But there's, you know, you see enough ducks quacking, you're gonna think those are ducks that are quacking. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think that he had a lot going on with his uh, personal life that made that made for a richer performance. That's one of my few kind of uh, critiques of the film. I have to, uh, this is supposed to be, you know, an every man. Okay. That the whole point is for, you know, just Joe Schmo to get tied up in this, this, uh, you know, global, this global spy plot conspiracy, whatever the fuck it is. I still don't even know, but we're talking about a Cary Grant, most beautiful man who's ever lived. B this hotshot advertising executive in New York. And his whole character is just kind of like this, this social construct for like, what is like the uh, ideal kind of every man in America. And there's mm -hmm. this all this weird Americana stuff peppered in. I mean, Mount Rushmore that goes without saying. Uh, but that that stuff kind of gets to me. I think it could have been a little bit more interesting with like a salt of the earth person like uh, Jim Stewart, who Hitchcock didn't want in in the role to begin with. Um, 
the uh, the the scene at the CIA that's like fucking twenty minutes long, where they just kind of explain the fact that they had set up this <laughs> phantom agent the exposition after the Act One. Just yeah, been on the cutting floor. I mean, if you would have left that to our imagination or hinted at it, it could have made this uh, a lot more uh, fresh and fun for me. I I think going back to your point about him being like the everyman, I think that that's partly why the movie works though, is that like he is just anybody. It could have been anybody, but like when, you know, when those CIA or, you know, we don't really even know if it's in this agency, when those, when they're talking about him, they kind of give up on him. They're like, Oh, he's, he's fucked, you know? Um, but, but he's not fucked because he's, because, of his charm because of his perseverance because of his adaptability to different situations he you know he is a uh, he could be anyone but he's not just anyone he actually has like this um this fortitude to him which makes it so that he stays alive and on top of all of that he entrenches himself in this situation further like yes this is a case of mistaken identity but he yeah. like takes his mother to george kaplan's uh hotel and stuff and like <laughs> makes these calls and like and inserts himself into this drama in a lot of ways because uh he, again he's not like a regular guy he's like i'm the kind of person that's so perturbed that that uh well perturbed is not the right word he, he was kidnapped and almost killed but he's not gonna let things go like he's going to um try and see them through yeah Interesting. Plus, well, the what option else can you say is fucking it? hilarious still, and it's been 60 years. <laughs> it's so the dumb. $13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the auction scene is hilarious. There's a lot of there's a lot of hilarious stuff in there, but there's also a lot of really sexual stuff. Oh, um, God, some of the it. ways that some of the ways that they talk about even Marie Saint's character, particularly, gets a little uncomfortable. But sometimes it's it's actually pretty <laughs> funny. But my favorite moment, I mean, talk about a James Bond type ending. Like, I thought Christmas only came once a year. The movie ends with him pulling her into bed and then a train going into a tunnel. Like the most, like the least subtle imagery in in film history. It's so fucking funny. (laughs) What a way to end the movie. Quite the film. What can you say? It's North by Northwest from by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Cary Grant. And it's got a lot of interesting plot devices. It has fascinating, fascinating uh, set pieces, too. Pretty cool. I mean, the Mount Rushmore stuff for this time, that probably looked pretty cool, I must say. I mean, it's it's cheesy now. But again, I think it's really hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of someone seeing a film in a theater in 1959 that must have been a very very exciting time like someone seeing star wars even for the first time like whoa this is crazy look at this you know like no i, I think you're right like when the when the crop duster plane runs into the uh, gas uh tank that like, like i don't think you really saw explosions like that in the movie in, in the movies that much during that no time. i don't think i don't think um, so not like even dr- in like war flicks or anything yet right a dramatic uh, climax on the face of, of of Mount Rushmore. I think his house is near Mount Rushmore. Near Mount Rushmore? It's fucking on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Uh, and also, why did the henchmen climb down after him? Like, I would just be like, well, I don't get paid enough for this. This is this is a fate that's certain death. Uh, He's a dedicated henchman, dude. Come on. <laughs> they go the extra mile. That's why they passed the background check, because they knew they would go all the way. I also like that they don't show how our heroes get off of Mount uh, Rushmore because like once you see them start to get down there and it's like how the fuck you gonna get back up and like the answer is someone's gonna shoot someone and yell something encouraging from a distance I guess (laughs) I don't know (laughs) 
Yeah, fuck it. Just wrap it up. It doesn't matter. Have the dick yeah. go into the tunnel. <laughs> it is just a lot of fun, I guess. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, fun's fine. Uh, anything else, gentlemen? Anything else you'd like to add about North by Northwest? Could this be remade? Sure. I don't see why not. I mean, it's the stories there, and uh, there's plenty of actors that could fill the voids on this. I mean, you made fun of George Clooney, but I there's love someone. Yeah, uh, there's he'd, someone he'd who be could be like the only person who probably could do it. I think, as you already mentioned, and Eric said, it would have been better with someone possibly a little more everyman. And I think if you found someone today like uh, Tim Blake Nelson, yeah, or Sam Rockwell or something, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that went about. Um, or yeah, someone like I a mean, really innocent face, you know, someone who's like seems so. Toby. Yeah. <laughs> Toby requires big comeback. To- North by Tobes out of retirement for the I'd love North to by North. South I'll by Southeast. It. Sorry, yeah. Toby McGuire. Right. South by Southwest. They go to the South by Southwest conference and everything. They, they get paid for part of the filming. It'd be great. So. All right. Well, should we uh, should we do our final thoughts on the film here? Yeah. I mean, I've. I really okay. don't. I, I thought it was okay. I, I mean, I thought it was a film that was, you know, it's kind of fun, but I don't know why it's so legendary. I do understand who it's made by has a lot of the prowess behind it. You know, having a Hitchcock name on it gives it a lot of clout, but that doesn't mean shit to me. So, you know, I know it means a lot to film buffs and historians, but fuck that. So I think this movie holds up in the fact that it's uh, an adventure film, but there's a lot of parts of it that I don't think hold up. So I'm kind of like in the middle on it. It's a, it holds up as being entertaining. I'll say that, but I think overall by the people who made it and some of the ways it goes about doing it does not hold up. So I'm kind of half and half. I'm kind of one foot in one foot out. I know it's kind of cheesy or maybe a shitty answer, but that's what I'm going to say about it. I think we're allowed half measures on the show. It's our show. Who gives a fuck? Hey, all right. Half measures. Cool. What about you, Travis? (laughs) Um, yeah, it holds up for me. Absolutely. Um, it's an American classic. There's a reason why it's American classic. It was fun to revisit. I could see where it might not be everybody's cup of tea if you're not necessarily into older films. But also, if you're not really necessarily into older films, I would. this would be one of the ones I most strongly recommend personally. Um, so, yes, I'm going to give it two thumbs up. It holds up. <laughs> and I know Eric Branson is going to go <laughs> yes on this one. Yeah, ten out of ten stars. This is an A plus. Whoa! Me. Name name like one, two, name three movies from the late fifties that you know are this fun, watchable, beautifully shot. Do not have a lot of even technical flaws for the time. The script is still crisp. It moves at a great pace. I mean, uh, it's relentless in it, its plot devices. You you fucking take one trip to the bathroom and come back, and you are absolutely in the woods don't know what the fuck is going on but you can absolutely still enjoy it um the performances are uh you know fun and fresh give credit to marty landau for making a bold choice he got a lot of flack for kind of the effemacy of his uh um what's that word effeminacy yeah the the way he kind of portrayed leonard and it's oh i didn't really pick up on anything effeminate about neither did i i've never heard that that's interesting yeah, there's there's a lot out there about that, but for me, it's cold, calculating, very. I mean, he did it purposefully, so uh, take another look at it when you get a chance. But I, I applaud it. I mean, the, Ernest Lehman and Hitchcock set out to make like the ultimate Hitchcock movie, 
a compilation of everything he's been doing since the early 1930s. And it's still fun. We owe so much to this movie in terms of what Spielberg brought us uh, and, and anything in terms of swashbuckling adventure is concerned, regardless. I've yeah. never really been a huge fan of like like political intrigue type films. Those have always bored the What about fuck procedurals? Out of it, so. Let's do the post and the spotlight back to back, double feature. That's, what do that's you say? That's not Eric? happening. That's not happening. <laughs> but, but yeah, like I said before, my favorite part about the movie is the shipping news. Just, just <laughs> settle in, you know, grab your pop and popcorn and just have fun and just, you know, not, don't take it too seriously. Yeah, you know, grab your heroin, sit back and have a good time. That's what I say. All right. Hey, that's North by Northwest. So opinions have been shared. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you think we're idiots? Or maybe you think, you know, we got it right. Sometimes we get it right. So we deserve credit for that. Hit us up, Cinema9Pod at ProtonMail.com. Cinema9Pod on all the major networks of social media engagement. Yeah, I guess you get, you get the score of 2.5 out of 3. I guess that's 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 pretty good. <laughs> All right, so it's that time. Now it's our favorite part of the show. I think it's my favorite part of the show. I really do enjoy the quarantine viewing picks. It's fun. There is an epidemic out there of some COVID-19. It kills people sometimes, and it can be negatively affecting uh, many lives. (laughs) So we do hope that you're taking proper precautions and uh, doing the best you can. In the meantime, we got your viewing picks covered. While you're sitting on ass, here's what you'll need to be watching. (laughs) Travis Roy, take it away. Well... Uh, I watched some movies this week, like I always do. Yay! Um, I watched The Wretched, and I, and I put a um, from last year. I put a, a review up on Instagram. Check that out. The Wretched. The Wretched. I liked okay. it a lot. I watched uh, Get Low from two from 2010. Have you guys seen Ooh. this movie? Uh, Aaron Schneider directed this film. It's the last. It's not the last role that Robert Duvall has done. But it's the last starring role that he's yeah. done. Yeah, he, he was in the, he was in the so Judge in 2014. Right. Yeah, and the judge was good, but yeah, he, yeah, um, he was the best actor at nom, not a win, but for for Get Low and Bill Murray's in there as well. Um, Sissy Spacek is in there. It's a, it's a really nice period piece. Don't forget um, Major Dad. Um, don't forget G- Gerald McRaney, um, who's also yeah. in in this movie. Um, Major um, Dad. And the, didn't he play Major Dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah Gerald McRaney, <laughs> who just had a birthday recently. Happy birthday, Gerald McRaney. Hey, um, he was great, I, Deadwood. Dude, he's the best part of Deadwood. I fucking love him in that movie. Oh yeah, I compl- I agree. Yeah, he's fantastic. I watched uh, Project Power. Uh, it was good. A little. Oh, what the right. fuck is up with this film, man? I've been getting bombarded with advertisements from that thing for like two weeks. I've seen. I mean, Joseph Gordon Levitt take a bullet off the face. Yeah, and I've seen like people turn into like super duper yeah, humans it's, it's, for it's, five it's, minutes. It's just yeah, that's a, you just summed up the movie. It's an action movie. It's a superhero movie. Um. It's it's if you like that kind of thing, you'll like this. If you don't like that kind of thing, avoid it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the last thing I went, you know, I watched. OK, uh, a couple things. One, I recently said to someone on the Internet, I think from the, the Cinema 9 podcast thing that um, that I'd never seen a Seth Rogen movie that I didn't like. And then I watched American Pickle. And now I know which Seth Rogen movie I like the least. It's called American Pickle. Um, the guy so gets frozen in brine, or he gets yeah. trapped in brine, brine for a hundred years. Yeah, and that that's not even brine. that's not even that's not even the pro. Like, there's, it's just it's yeah, it's a misfire. Unfortunately, it seems but, like they would uh, rely on really shitty jokes when you have someone who gets stuck like a hundred years in the past. 
it's just there's a lot there's a lot of ways that it goes wrong um and but it's seth rogan acting against seth rogan and that's sort of fun um but the one i want to recommend the most and it's streaming in a few different places i, I found it streaming on some app called like iFood or some shit but it's streaming <laughs> in a bunch of different places um from 2007 there's a movie the only movie directed by justin thoreau who's not known as a director, but he directed this movie called Dedication in 2007, starring Billy Crudup and Mandy Moore. Um, Tom Wilson oh. co-stars, and Diane Weist also pops in for some really fun scenes. Weist? But, the, but the, yeah, Diane Weist. But um, this movie, it's it's about like a trauma victim, like a PTSD uh, adult, Billy Crudup, who is uh, a, a vicious and mean, bad person who's also a children's book writer. And he's forced to like work with it's a romance. Uh, he's forced to work with a new uh, illustrator and kind of like pull him out of his shell and stuff. And there's some parts in the movie that are like kind of hard. It kind of hits some chords for me personally that were really close to home. But um, but it's a powerful movie about uh, about love. And if you like Billy Crudup and you and you um, like independent film and you like Justin Throw. Uh, I think it's one that people should to give a lot watch because I'd never even heard of it before. And I just kind of stumbled across it recently while I was looking up Justin Thoreau kind of. Um, and so, yeah, dedication from 2007, 2000, 2007. Let's try that again. Dedication. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Travis. Another yeah. fine list of films to peruse this week. Eric Branstrom, what do you got? What's cooking over there? I had to go on mute, not because I'm crackling a little bit, because I was laughing. My iFood? Where the fuck are they <laughs> coming up with these apps to put movies I on? Know. I don't know. Oh, my. So dumb. Uh, you guys aren't going to believe this. Uh, I watched Top Gun again. Oh <laughs> uh, two weeks in a row? Didn't you not like it very much? What are you, Aaron so, Worley? Have you seen Top Gun? Well, here's the thing. Oh, I've seen that movie. I didn't like it when I saw it last week, but I watched it again because my uh, fam was in town and they wanted to watch it. So I watched it again it, wow. and I loved it. It's, new it's like, so I, I feel like this is the scene in uh, Tim and Eric's, brain. the Tim and Eric movie when like, want to watch it again? Like now you got to watch it again. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but this latest viewing, I was like, it was super fun. And like, I really liked the shots and like the dialogue was crisp and fun. And it was like a really good time. So, I might have to check my uh, credit card at the door Dude, because you I crashed it last week. Had fun this week. You are a mercurial movie watcher, man. Very I swear, uh, it's either trash or gold to you. There's no fucking in betweens. It's been like this since <laughs> I was a kid. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, God bless the late great Tony Scott, and uh, and that's uh, so all I have to say about that. But uh, another movie I watched that you brought up earlier, I I literally have probably haven't seen since I was a kid. Uh, and it is the never-ending story. Um, it appeared back on Netflix uh, recently, so that's probably why I haven't missed it because I don't remember seeing it on a lot of platforms recently. But it popped up, and I watched it. Wow, that Jesus, that is such a fucking unique movie. I never knew that it was a Wolfgang Peterson or b a, a German film. I just mm -hmm. I never knew oh, that. Yeah. That has to be why oh. it's just so unique dark. and different <laughs> and fucking dark yeah. and shit. Yeah. Um, in a good way, in a good way. The model work, the puppetry, that fucking, like, gork. What is that, like, black wolf thing at the very end? Scares the fuck out of me still. Yeah, it's Gamork. It still looks so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Gamork's so, yeah, badass, I mean, dude. 
He's got uh, the nothing has got nothing on Gamork. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was really impressed. I think that's that that should be really uh, heavily lauded. I mean, I sat there looking at Felcor with his face moves and everything, and this is fucking 1984. I I I'm, I'm struggling to see how they did that even here in 2020. It looks so fucking good nowadays. It'd just be some stupid goddamn cartoon like that Pete's yeah. Dragon trash from a few years <laughs> back. Oh, so, yeah. I applaud the never-ending story, the uh, a classic children's movie. It's uh, so good. Awesome. Never-ending Big Johnson. All right. Thank you, Eric. Excellent. Anything else? So, Was that it? Nope. That's it. All right. Uh, I watched uh, Hustlers. Uh, that movie sucked. Uh, I hope <laughs> That's it'd be good. Uh, Jennifer Lopez and uh, uh, what's her name? That woman. I don't know her. I, I know her name. That woman from no, Michigan. It's, it's not Aquafina. It's uh, oh, oh. someone else. Oh. Anyways, who cares? It sucks. Uh, it it could have been good. It really could have had like a real message and like a something to buy into. But you can't root for people who are like roofing other people. I just can't no. do that. Oh, uh, what's her name <laughs> from uh, Fresh Off the Boat? I know you talk. Uh, Constance yeah. Wu. Thank you. That's right, Constance Wu. Very Ooh. good. Uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez, yes, she looks incredible for being 50. Whoop de doo. But you don't go to strip club. I hate when they do strip club movies and no one's nude. I mean, at least be topless. I don't I don't want to beat off to it. I don't give a fuck. It's not about that. I just want the realism. It's realism you know, we're talking about people who have millions of dollars that they're trying to rip off. They wouldn't go to a strip club if somebody wasn't getting naked. They wouldn't be there. And that bothers me. I want that authenticity. Yes, yes. That means a lot to me. That's why uh, speaking of like not being authentic for some reason. Uh, I felt like watching Back to the Future too since we did that movie last oh, week. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And uh, makes sense. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it more than I had in recent times. You know, I it's really fun. I really thought about everything we talked about on last week's pod, and then I, you know, the Biff showdown where they're trying to get the <laughs> sports almanac back, and you know how that movie ends. It's kind of fun. It's pretty iconic, so I'll give it that. But All right. I still say that uh, part three is a piece of shit. So uh, <laughs> I love like part three. three. So good. Oh God, you fucks. That's fine. Uh, and then I uh, decided, <laughs> I decided to watch a couple of Uma Thurman movies. I watched a little video on her, and I was like, Oh, Uma Thurman. Yeah. Go check out some of your movies. And I revisited. Uh, <laughs> I actually saw it for the first time. Uh, crazy ex-girlfriend my super crazy ex my crazy super ex-girlfriend was it good I've never seen that no, one. it's terrible it was really oh. bad okay uh i did i had heard bad things and i wanted to give luke wilson ivan reitman i mean uma thurman these are like legitimate yeah. people that i like yeah. and it's a failure it's a total failure so don't watch that if you can avoid it um and then i watched uh the kill bills again and i don't really like the kill bills they're my <laughs> least favorite quentin tarantino films and it's not i'm not sure why because they're well done but I just over the top violence that's supposed to be funny after the while it kind of gets stale to me and I do like the fact that she put everything into this film and it's too bad that she got like fucked up you know she got a real car accident filming that that really hurt her neck and was like a real big deal for her but anyways those were okay so so and that's it that's pretty much all I watched so far and uh, that's that mattress man yes that's that mattress man this has been the Cinema Night Podcast. You've listened to another episode of us talking about film. And before we go, don't forget, you can contact us everywhere. Cinema Nine Pod, ProtonMail.com, Cinema Nine Pod at all the social media stations. It's now time for Travis to give us his reveal as we go back to the rotation. Travis, what are we going to watch for next week? 
Well, I've really, I've been, I've been kind of like you about it, where I just kind of up to the last minute was just juggling these two movies back and forth in my head. Uh, but I've, I came to a conclusion, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've not watched it in many years, so it, I've been meaning to revisit it anyways. So I thought, it, I kind of have purposely been holding off on watching it because I wanted to make it a selection for this show. Um, I'm going back to 1997. Speaking of Noah Thurman, Gattaca. We are going to watch wow. 1997's Gattaca. Ethan Hawke. Um, I love this movie. We'll do favorite score probably at some point as a segment on the show. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it. Favorite score in human history for anybody should be Michael Nyman's score for Gattaca. Um, so I'm excited to watch this movie. I feel like I'm probably going to feel like it still holds up, but uh, I think it's it's kind of a movie that will hold up well to uh, kind of like uh, a critical watch. Yeah. Uh, this is a great pick. I'm really excited to talk about Andrew Nichol, who brought us the Truman Show screenplay, and even Simone. I like Simone. So I'm pumped to In talk Dark about City. this filmmaker doesn't get enough credit. Well, there you have it, folks. Oh, it Gattaca. 1997's Gattaca. We will be yeah. focusing on that for next week's show. You can watch it along awesome. with us. Watch Gattaca over the next week and then we will break it down and find out does it hold up well that's why we do the show i can't wait uh, i've never actually seen it so it'll be exciting you've never seen to... it oh wow no. right. i'm familiar with its uh, cult status it does have a it has a solid you know foundation in the cult world but i've never actually watched it so this will be fun for me and i've actually wanted to see it for a while so this is perfect for me all right perfect the winner all right cool so next week gattaca until then this has been the North by Northwest Breakdown. We're out of here, and we'll see you next week on the Cinema 9 Podcast. Bye, everyone. Send us an email.